Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 16 of Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to be reading verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And here at this point, God has just spoken in the earlier verses and presented some of the most glorious information found in the whole Bible. In verse after verse, he was uh, giving uh, just great comfort and uh, encouragement to the people of God that the time had come. He was looking ahead, of course, as he moved the Apostle John to write these things in the first century A.D. concerning the passing away of this present creation and the coming of a new heaven and new earth. So, of course, God was looking ahead to that day, and now he's making a statement that ties in the promise given to Abraham of the land for an everlasting possession to him and his seed to the elect who will receive the new heaven and new earth. Notice in verse 7, at the at the beginning of the verse, it says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And we shouldn't overlook the word inherit. The, the word inherit has to do with the land. The Israelites were given the land of Canaan. It was the promised possession. And historically, later, when God would bring them out of Egypt and uh, after the 40-year wilderness sojourn, he brought them into the land of Canaan and, of course, they had to do battle. They won it by right of conquest. But then, once the enemy was defeated, God gave the land to the tribes of Israel by lot and it became their inheritance. And and so the Lord is using that kind of figure um, regarding the new heaven and new earth. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Remember what Jesus said? The meek shall inherit the earth. And uh, that really ties in to the promise that God gave uh, to uh, again, Abraham into the spiritual Jews, to the seed in Christ, the promised seed that would come um, through the Lord Jesus Christ. But first, let's look at the word overcometh. Overcometh. And you hear this in uh, church circles or in professing Christian circles. They they talk a lot about overcoming your sin, overcoming the devil, and and overcoming this and overcoming that. And a lot of times what they have in mind is you have to do it. You have to 
um, put forth effort and exercise your will and your faith and and you overcome. And this word, if we're not careful, we could come away with that kind of idea. God's talking to those that are strong, that that are um, winners. They're they're the ones who make it through. The tough ones, they overcome. And actually, there's a good deal of biblical language that we could misapply, and and think of it like that. Like for instance, in Matthew 24, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Who endures? It's survival of the fittest in uh, the erroneous teaching of evolution. And and so we don't want to get anywhere near that kind of thinking. No, it has nothing to do with the strong, the tough, the durable, the, the ones that are resilient and able to bounce back. They'll be the the victors, the overcomers. That's not what God means. And it's, you know, it's not very exciting and it doesn't, um, cause man's ears to tingle when we, we just share the truth of the Bible. But the truth is that God is not looking at the individual sinner as the overcomer. He's not looking at you or me or uh, anybody else except one and and that would be the one without sin the one who bore sin for his people but he himself was sinless in 1 John chapter 5 it says in verses 4 and 5 for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world. The word victory is the same word overcometh. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And the way this is written, especially verse 5, again, we could easily get the wrong idea and think that it is through our belief, our faith, that we will overcome. And if we're failing, if we're we're not um, overcoming as we think we should, then uh, it, it's because we lack faith, we lack belief. And no, actually God tells us twice in verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And how does someone become born again? In order to be an overcomer, ye must be born again. And how can I be born again? Or any man or any person be born again? And, of course, today there's no more salvation. But when God was saving, in the day of salvation, the acceptable year of the Lord, it's also known as, the, the acceptable time. At that uh, period in history, God would grant faith. He would give a person a new heart and a new spirit. He would do the work of saving. And 
and it, we were saved or justified not by our own faith, because our own faith is a work. And Galatians uh, chapter 2 tells us, no man is justified by the works of the law. And, and God does command that we believe. Take a look at 1 John 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment. That, that's what the Bible just said. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. This is his commandment that we should believe. And remember that verse in Acts that so many like to go to? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, that's a commandment. This is God's commandment that you believe. And and yet they think that they can keep that commandment. I can keep that commandment. I'll believe and then I'll be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's simple. Any Any child can understand it except they're in error. They have made a grave mistake. They have fallen into a trap because God is commanding. This is his commandment that ye believe. And whenever God commands something, the the response is a work. So if God says um, that uh, you shall not kill, or if God says you will not steal, thou shall not steal, or honor your mother and father, and which is the first commandment with promise. Whatever God says, does does the church then say, well, God says uh, He commands me to to keep the Ten Commandments. I'll keep the Ten Commandments and I'll be saved. No, they don't say that. Why don't they say that? The Jews were misled along those lines when God commanded them to be circumcised and and to follow certain ceremonial laws or sacrificial rites and and they fell for that snare. But the church learned, oh, they can see Galatians two sixteen says no man is justified by the works of the law. Oh, well, then, then, uh, I'm not going to think that any work can save me. Any, um, act of, or attempted act of obedience to a commandment of God, that's a work. And I'm not going to get in, into that trouble like Israel did. But then they fall into the trap when God says, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ when God commands. Believe. And they run headlong after it. And and they believe. And now they're convinced I'm saved because I believe. And really, it's because they did a work. And and so it's never our faith that uh, is in view when it comes to saving faith. It's always the faith of Christ. No man is justified by the faith of the law, but by the faith uh, of Jesus. And I'm going to read Galatians 2.16 because I 
referred to it uh, at least a couple of times. It says in this verse, Galatians 2, verse 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. God might as well add there, not by our faith, but by Christ's faith. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So when God says, this is the victory that overcometh the world, our faith, he does not mean the belief that that a person musters up, stirs himself up. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe. Now I'm justified. Now I'm an overcomer. No. Our faith, if we're truly a child of God, is if God has done the work of salvation in us and made us born again, our faith is Christ faith. His saving faith. His work of faith becomes our salvation. And that's what God has in view. And that is what overcomes the world. That That is the only thing that um, overcomes the world. It It is what gives the victory to those that God has saved. And so that's what Revelation 21.7 has in mind or in view. He that overcometh. We can understand that to mean he that Christ saved by Christ's faith. He, the, the individual that God granted grace to. And, and remember that verse. God, uh, here says it fairly plainly. And yet those that have no ears to hear, they cannot hear it. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And now, unless someone think, Oh, my faith, my belief, God follows that statement up with, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, referring back to faith, and that not, of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, if it were a man's faith, it would be a work. And it, no, it can't be. No man is justified by the works of the law, so we're saved by faith. And that faith is not of yourself. Well, whose is it? As Galatians 2.16 has already told us, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his faith that saves, his faith that makes us overcome in him and through him. He that overcometh, the one that God has truly saved through Christ, shall inherit all things. For those that are born again, they will inherit all things that God has said in his word. And we, in previous studies, going through the 
earlier verses of Revelation 21, we've discussed some of these things. The, the glorious, the wonderful, the tremendous things, things that are uh, beyond our ability to comprehend, to grab a hold of. We, we just cannot really understand. If we could, we would be far more joyful and and far more uh, excited if we could be transported like the Apostle Paul was as he speaks of hearing unspeakable words and, and he talks about salvation as an unspeakable gift when God was giving him revelation. And if we could, just for a moment, have a glimpse at this um, future that awaits for each one that God has saved, and then come back, oh, how how we would um, look excitedly with great expectation to the eternal future that awaits, to eternal life, eternal bliss, eternal peace and happiness and and an eternal possession to work that is valuable with purpose and meaning you you build and not another inhabits but you will yourself inhabit you plant and not another gets the fruit but you yourself will enjoy the fruits of your labor and and so forth there is there is great meaning to life. And, and God says that the one he saves will inherit, inherit all things. And this goes back again to the promise to Abraham. If we go to Genesis 15, it says in uh, verse 7, And he said unto him, I am Jehovah that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord Jehovah, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And then he tells him to offer these sacrifices. And there, there's actually um, instruction in that as the sacrifices point to Christ. And it's through Christ that we can know that we are heirs of promise, heirs of the things that God has uh, said in his word. In Exodus chapter 32, it says in verse 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and sayest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. See how God uh, just uh, inserts that little statement, forever. If it didn't say that, well, we might tend to think he's speaking of national Israel, physical Jews, the actual physical land of Canaan, but God very consistently places these kinds of statements for an everlasting possession 
I will give it to you and your seed. You will inherit it forever. It is not anything, uh, therefore, that's a part of this world. Any land, anything at all. Because nothing that's a part of this creation will endure forever. It must be a new creation, a new land, a new earth. And that's what God says in Psalm 25, where he uh, begins to expand on the promise to Abraham and his and to his seed. In Psalm 25, uh, verse 13, His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. That's where Jesus came up with that statement in the Beatitudes, the meek shall inherit the earth. He's drawing it from the Old Testament. God has promised already in the Old Testament that the meek would inherit the earth. And the word earth in the Old Testament is sometimes translated as land. We we read in Psalm 37 where God uh, really spends a good deal of time in this psalm going over the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. And he says in Psalm 37, verse 9, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon Jehovah, they shall inherit the earth. In verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Also, this whole psalm is really uh, worth spending time in, but uh, for our purposes, we're just picking out a few verses. In uh, verse 20, But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of Jehovah shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. Verse 22, For such as be blessed of him, shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. They they do not inherit the earth. They do not move on. They're, they're not equipped with a new spiritual body. They're not given a new eternal land for a habitation. They do not dwell with God forevermore in their presence. And it doesn't seem like that much today, does it? Oh, they they don't have to suffer eternal damnation in a place called hell. And, uh, you know, we're very thankful for that, that God has taught us uh, a proper understanding of the final judgment of mankind. But it also tends to make us think, well, their punishment isn't all that bad. Well, not until you see how great the the blessing is not until you're you're in the new heaven and new earth you're in that new creation you're uh suited with a new spiritual body and you begin to enjoy the pleasures at the right hand of God forevermore and and then you know as we go on into eternity we we won't uh consider it nor remember the former things but Certainly, the the longer, the further, the the deeper that the elect go into this uh, eternal 
future that God has prepared for his people from the foundation of the world and and now has given and and it has fulfilled his promise and has uh blessed his people uh, just uh, incredibly and uh, as far and for as deep and as as long as that continues on blessing 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 that is the judgment and the penalty of all the wicked that died like beasts and were annihilated and they were cut off and they ceased to be. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing that they do not partake nor enjoy these rich blessings that God has bestowed upon his people in such abundance. But uh, but God is focused on his seed, the promised seed. They will inherit the earth. And, and so it says also here in Psalm 37, in verse 29, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. You see how God is not calling it earth. And by the way, that's the same word, same Hebrew word translated as earth. In, in other places in this same psalm. But here, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. That sounds very similar to the, if you would take that verse out, you could put it in Genesis 17, for this land will be an everlasting possession, or, or it matches what we read in Exodus 32:13. they'll inherit it forever. And yet here God uh, clearly is describing the new earth. And and the new earth is the fulfillment of the promise. There's absolutely no question or doubt about it. And then in verse 34, Wait on Jehovah and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, Thou shalt see it. And, of course, that agrees and matches exactly our present situation. Since May 21, 2011, God has saved his people. The seed, the promised seed, has been gathered. And they're left on the earth to be uh, tried and, and tested uh, as it says in Zechariah chapter 13, and uh, God says in verse 8, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith Jehovah, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third part shall be left therein. And that's the elect. They are left. They endure the fire. They they come through the fire to the end. Then God lifts them up. He exalts them into the new creation. And it says in verse 9, I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, Jehovah is my God. And notice how that relates and ties in with Revelation 21.3. 
uh, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. You see how Zechariah 13 then fits in with coming through till the end when the world passes away and God creates a new heaven and new earth. And now that they will inherit the earth and they have seen the cutting off of the wicked. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.